Welcome back. You're listening to In Situ Science, where each episode we meet a different scientist to find out what it is they do and why they do it. I'm your host, James O'Hanlon, and this episode I'm joined by evolutionary biologist, science communicator, and entrepreneur, Michael Kasumovic. Mike, how's it going? It's going well. You gave me a lot of titles there. You have a lot of titles, Mike. <laughs> this do. isn't me. It's getting a bit out of hand, it feels. Yeah. Uh, uh, to the point where I'm actually not sure where to start in the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, yes. I have all the power now. Yeah. If, usually if a person just works on chickens, they go, all right, what's so interesting about chickens? Yeah, fair enough. But with you, I'm just going to start. <laughs> <laughs> With something that came up in the live podcast you did with us a couple oh, of years man. ago. Yes, okay. People might recognize your voice from that. This could be dangerous then, potentially. Yeah, I want to ask you about dentistry. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> God, could you imagine if that was my job right now? <laughs> Would you be I, happier? No, you... definitely not. I'd be sadder. <laughs> I'd probably be a lot richer. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but sadder. <laughs> much sadder i think it's not my gig what was the thinking back then well you know as as a as a young lad one mm. could say you know you follow a few career paths and, mm. and those are the things that you see and hear about most often right you go to the dentist so you know that's a job you yeah. go to the physician you know that's a career you know my dad was a welder you know that's a job yeah. and so there as a kid, you have some kind of exposure to different career pathways. And you know, I never wanted to be a physician. For some reason, I thought, you know what I want to do? I want kids to like going to the dentist. Oh, Maybe I should become a dentist. Ambitious from day one. Oh, I know. It's, it's an insane concept because you've ever heard a kid <laughs> at a dentist. All they do is scream the entire yeah. time. <laughs> so it's, what was I thinking? So did you start going down that pathway? I did, actually. You know, yeah. I, I volunteered with some dentists to you see what it that? was like. Yeah, I know you can. And some <laughs> of them are really nice about it. Here, here's an old tooth. Drill into it. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Like you hear people doing work experience with the vets. Like, That's here's a-, a pair of testicles we just cut out. Go. Do they do that? Apparently. Oh, my just God. just go poke them, play around with them, you know. Yeah, well, there you go, I guess, right? Yeah, because no one needs it anymore, so yeah. it doesn't really matter what you do with them. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so I I did that. I did the, the DAT, the dental aptitude test oh. in North America, and I found that I wasn't actually really good at carving things with my hands. Who is, really? <laughs> but you have to carve a piece of soap in this really intricate shape. Yeah, never and, think about that. Yeah, and... And I still tried to get in, even though I didn't do really well. And then, yeah, it was a third-year animal behavior course I Mm. took by accident. (laughs) Not because I fell into the course, but by accident in the sense of, oh, I fit into my schedule. And so, oh, I like nature shows. Let's see what this is about. And that was it. It turned everything around. Yeah. All right. And so from that point, you took the jump and ended up being a, the spider guy. Yeah, I wasn't a spider guy. I was arachnophobic for a really long time. Okay. Yeah, so I was, definitely wasn't the spider guy for a very, very long time. This is now the second arachnologist interview in a row where spider phobias have come up. I know. Isn't that weird? Yes. Well, it's such a common phobia for some weird reason. Yeah. And I don't know why. I think research was done on it, but I don't think anyone's really found out conclusively kind well, of I mean, thing. Well, no phobias make sense right there. No, realistically, it's true. If, right? yeah. if they made sense, but they wouldn't be phobias. Yeah, I guess so. Would they be, they be fears, maybe? I don't yeah, know. It's yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, sure, that works for me. I like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very afraid of 
murderers and serial yes. killers. You know, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah, a yeah, yeah. That's true enough. That's true enough. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Works for me. Um, but yeah, no, I used to work on birds, uh, but then for, after my masters, I, I realized birds fly. And they're really hard to catch. My sample size is tiny. I can't do this for my PhD. Yeah. And I wanted to work with a young supervisor uh, who was working on invertebrates. Mm-hmm. And that happened to be uh, Maiden Andrade uh, at the University of Toronto. And I went to meet her. And she had a whole bunch of redbacks in her lab. Yeah, and right. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and she, so these are our animals that she takes one in a little plastic jar and give puts it in my hand and like oh yeah and you're suppressing all that fear because you don't yeah. want to look like an idiot in front of your potential supervisor <laughs> and then you know i after watching spiders for a really long time and working with them you know you, you start to appreciate them for what they are and mm. the fear just kind of completely and utterly disappears and i told my phd supervisor Shortly after graduating, that when I first met her, I was totally arachnophobic, and she looked at me with this look in her eyes, like "Oh my god!" and said to me, <laughs> "If you told me that, I totally wouldn't have taken you as a student." <laughs> so there you go. Do you even remember the feeling of a, of being afraid of spiders? Yeah, yeah because I still kind of get it when a huntsman's in my room. <laughs> Those things are terrifying. They're so yeah. fast, <laughs> so fast. Well, like the high kind of feel about that is it's. Chasing a huntsman across your wall, it's adrenaline. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. But there are two ways you can deal with adrenaline. You can either be terrified of it or have fun with it. Yeah. So maybe treat it like you're on a roller coaster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's going to happen next? <laughs> I don't know. As long as it doesn't jump on my face, I'm pretty okay with it, I guess, really. <laughs> yeah, but those are the only ones that I still kind of get freaked out a little bit. Yeah. I can appreciate them for what they are, but they're just so fast. But you've also worked on... Probably the easiest spiders to care about, the, the gateway drugs of the spider world. True enough. The peacock spiders. Yes. And everyone loves them. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so if you're an arachnophobic, would you reckon they would trigger anything? You know, I think they have those really big eyes and they're so yeah. colorful that everyone seems to be really okay with them. Yeah. Uh, I've heard people say, oh, I wish they were the size of a dog. We could have them as pets. I'm like, no, you don't wish they were the size of a dog. It'd be terrifying. <laughs> They're still predators. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, but they really, everyone loves them. I don't, yeah, I, I think even arachnophobes, because they're so small, mm. I think they'd be okay with them. It's amazing to think that the peacock spiders are such a recent I know. revelation. I know. Is it just because they're too small and we didn't know what they're up to? I think that's that, that's definitely a part of it. You really have to be looking for them. Mm. Um, and even when you are, it's so hard to find. So for people that have no idea what we're talking about, can you describe? Sure can. These beasts? So, so these little peacock spiders are probably, if you look at your pinky finger, they're going to probably be, you know, Oh gosh, a tenth of that size. They're just, you know, three, four millimeters across. Mm. Tiny, tiny little things. But the really cool thing about them is that they have a flap on their abdomen that the the males do specifically, uh, that they use to try and impress females in their dance. So they lift up their abdomen and unroll this flap, very much like a peacock. Mm. Um, And that's what gives them their name, obviously. 
and they're just super colorful and come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and they're really, really neat. And I think that's really captured mm. uh, everyone's imagination is just how how much these little individuals can vary across Australia. And it's sort of been a renaissance for, I feel like taxonomy as well. Yeah, yeah. Whenever people started discovering new peacock spiders all of a sudden. Yeah, and, there's heap, and I'm sure there's hundreds of them that we haven't yeah. found yet. I wouldn't be surprised. They're just so specious, yeah. And because they're so pretty, all of a sudden spider taxonomy was newsworthy for a bit. Yeah, it is. It, whenever you see, whenever somebody wants to talk about a spider, that's always a spider they want to talk about. So I still yeah. get emails. Oh, you work on peacock spiders. Can you catch some for me? I'm like, no, they're really hard to catch. <laughs> I can't catch it. I didn't do any of that research. Yeah, uh, yeah that was Maddie Gerard. She was amazing. <laughs> yeah, she caught so many. Well, I'll still never spotted one in the wild, so it's on, really? my, it's on my bucket list. Yeah. Oh, uh, maybe. Yeah, I, I could probably lead you there, but I don't know if <laughs> I can find it. For <laughs> I have notoriously bad luck with finding study species. Oh, okay. Then but between like, you and I, I think yeah, we're in trouble. To the point where people have stopped taking me on field trips. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the O'Hanlon effect kicks in, and we're not going to get any specimens. Oh God, you can't come. To, yeah, on, no. on a research field trip with me because if I don't find anything, I give up immediately. <laughs> I'm so bad as a field researcher now. It's terrible. It's embarrassing. It's, I mean, it started when I was working on orchid mantises, which are impossible oh, to God. find. Anyway. Yeah, that's right. Oh, God, they're so hard to find. Yeah. And you then, had guides and everyone help you, didn't you? Well, so we had people that, so they're villagers within the rainforest there. Yeah, could find yeah. Them. They wouldn't tell us how to find them there. So we would buy them from them. That's right. So <laughs> yes, well, you know. I mean, I find <laughs> one, so I know that they exist. <laughs> <laughs> it did reach a point where I started to worry that i'd imagine them or they were some sort of hoax yeah well you know with all the photoshop skills everyone yeah. has nowadays it wouldn't it's be like surprised a mythical creature that yes i hadn't realized it was a big joke yes <laughs> <laughs> amazing yeah so this is kind of like that as well i can't yeah. seem to find them very well all right yeah one day <laughs> one day yes yeah yeah one week maybe it'll take us but yeah <laughs> so now i don't want to give the impression that you're just an arachnologist. Yes. I actually don't wouldn't consider myself arachnologist. People ask me, what spider is this? And I'm like, I don't know. No. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. What, what do you call yourself? I do call myself an evolutionary biologist. Okay. Yeah. Because if I look through, mm. if I look through your list of papers. Yes. <laughs> Pretty eclectic. Topics eh? that come up are things like peacock spiders, yep. biomechanics of spider silk. Yes. Income equality affects the types of faces you could be attracted yeah. to mating in crickets yes whether beards stop ufc fighters from getting <laughs> concussions aging in professional basketball players yeah yeah technology and education a mixed bag what man what are you doing i you? Oh, the my favorite absolute favorite thing about science is working with awesome people <laughs> and there are just so many awesome people doing so many awesome things yeah. and i love being the guy that can do it with them yeah it's and yeah it's just so much fun working with others and learning about their study organisms and their questions because if you know it gives you a whole new perspective on what you're doing as well so yeah, i'm always trying to do as much as i can with with as many people as i can which makes me very busy but what's the common theme through all of those yeah. Things you're working on. So if if I was to pull a, a single common thread out of everything, my research really kind of explores 
how the social environment influences how we think about ourselves and how mm-hmm. that makes us behave and choose partners. Yeah. So that's kind of really generally how everything fits. And you're in. gonna apply that to a field of cricket. Yep. In the same way as you could a a spider, a, and, a human, and a human. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's the thing I love telling people is that we're not that different from crickets, and they look at me like you're crazy. <laughs> I'm like, whatever. But as a person like, spanning these fields professionally, yeah. do you not find that every time you go to a new system, you have to almost like learn them in a new language? You do, but that's that's the joy of working with others. Mm. You know, they're happy to help you that learn that language. Yeah. Um, and you also start seeing similarities between fields that you normally wouldn't have noticed because mm. of the language barrier. Mm. Um, and that's really fun. And yeah. when you can start putting these puzzles together that are much larger than you would have imagined that they are. Mm. Um, and that's, yeah, thrilling in a lot of ways. Yeah. And making the shift from, say, spiders to crickets yes. is one thing. Making the shift into humans. Yes. You th- you'd think it'd be a lot harder. Really? But it's it's not. It's We're, we're just another animal. But in you terms know. of dealing with people and people's feedback to your work, yes. can well, you just that. go out and say yes. you're going to study sperm competition in humans? <laughs> I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> There's enough people doing that and they can have it. Yeah, yeah. There might be some limits on what I'll do. Yeah. Is that why you think they have a different language to talk about things? Because they don't want to act like we're under the same pressures as these little animals. You know, we we do like putting ourselves in a different group from other animals. Mm. But the reality is we, the same pressures that have shaped, you know, all the traits in any animal or plant or bacterium uh, have shaped us as well. Mm. Um, so we're not special and it'd, it'd be a lot easier, I think, if we put ourselves in that same group and kind of use that same language. Mm. But I can understand why why it's not, because it's really hard to objectively study humans. Well, we're very delicate about not wanting to put value judgments we are. on things. Yeah, we are, and we're, we don't like classifying ourselves in different groups and different ways, although we're quite good at that, <laughs> you know, very, very good yeah. at that, as our politicians show us. <laughs> um, but there's, I think there's some beauty about being able to, you know, see our step, step back and see ourselves as a bigger picture rather than humans as, as, as just another animal, mm. because it, it gives us some insight into why we behave the way we do. And as a consequence, you know, so, how maybe we can shape some of those behaviors and kind of prevent some of those terrible things that we do as well. Mm. So can I get an example of how evolutionary biology thinking might apply to things people wouldn't normally assume it would? Sure, yeah. So there's a ton of research into aging, why things age. Yes. So (laughs) aging's not my bag, but if you want me to go down that way, we can, but it's going to be an awkward conversation. I can give you another one, maybe. I was going to ask about your basketballs. Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah, we could do that one. We could do that one. Um, Absolutely. What have basketballers got to tell us about aging? So, you know, the kind of interesting thing about uh, about that study that we had a lot of fun looking at is is basketball was one of the earlier sports where we had... um, men's basketball and then you know women's basketball the WNBA joined in 
uh, not as popular, obviously, as initially uh, as men's basketball, but you had these women playing and you could start seeing over a number of years of how they were playing over their lifetime and how their performance changed over their lifetime. And you can compare that to, to men as well. And the fun kind of thing is um, in a lot of animals, what you normally see is males of, of that species would age really quickly, you know, try and perform as well as they can. And they usually that, that ultimate performance or their peak performance happens at this point and then they just start getting worse. Mm. Um, and you know, you attribute that to fitness in a lot of animals. You know, uh, male deer, for example, when they're really young, they don't do really well. They start getting a bit older. Their horns are a bit bigger. They start competing a little bit better. They start getting access to females. Then they reach this peak where they just can access so many different females. Mm. And then they just start getting worse because they get older and they can't compete against those young guys anymore. And that's exactly what we see in male basketball players. Mm. When they're young, you know, they're still learning, they get better, then they're at their peak and they're performing super, super well, and then they start aging and they get worse, <laughs> just like every other animal. Yeah. But we don't see that in women, oh. which is really, really interesting. Women kind of don't peak as high, but they get, they get better and then they stay good for a really long time. Okay. And that's because selective pressures, our argument was that selective pressures shape, you know, male and female performance differently. Mm. So women may not peak as highly as men, but they keep their maximum performance higher than men do after they start aging. So I imagine this is to do with reproduction. Exactly. And having to be at peak physical condition for longer. Yeah, exactly. And how males will compete for access to females while women don't have that same level of competition uh, and are providing resources to offspring. And when you're publishing this stuff and putting yeah. it out there, how do people react to that in the sense that you're describing people as baby-making machines? Yeah, you have to watch the language, of course. Yeah. Um, but the reality is both males and females are baby-making machines, yeah. you know? That's that's <laughs> what a lot of us are doing all the time, <laughs> you know, even though we don't like maybe considering ourselves as, as that. But, um, yeah, you have to be careful with the language because mm. people can get offended. But, you know, with, with that study, we didn't see, you know, none of the media or none, there was no real backlash. Mm. I've had backlash from other papers, though. Gone. Oh yeah, I knew you'd, you'd <laughs> want to know. That, so I did, and really briefly, we studied uh, video games and mm -hmm. and how people treat each other during a video game, uh, and that was with a, a colleague named Jeff Kuznikov in the U.S. who was super super kind and and letting me collaborate with him and, and shared his data with me, and that was such a fun study. Mm. In brief, Jeff played. 400 games of halo 3 yeah for his phd which is an awesome phd if yeah. you think about it um and in in his phd what he did is for a third of those games he he had recorded a male voice and used that male voice to respond online to other players that were playing right. with him so these are online multiplayer games exactly. interacting with people okay yeah and these are all teammates that he's interacting with so when teammates talk to him he would press these buttons, these statements, and have a male voice. Mm. Another third of the games he played, he used a female voice. Mm -hmm. And then the other third, he used no voice. And there was that kind of, kind of control. And then he looked at how many positive and negative comments he received from his teammates. And it's very much what you would expect. 
where when he used a male voice, he had some positive and some negative comments. And when he used that female voice, he had some positive comments, but he had way more negative comments. Okay. And that was, you know, blew my mind mm. because, you know, anecdotally, you had a lot of women talking about that, but there was no real evidence to show that. And his was some of the first evidence to show that women were garnering more negative comments online from male colleagues. All right, so you can identify them. where the comments are coming from. So they were all men, mm. everyone playing them. Uh, and so I, I contacted Jeff and I said, oh, dude, have you looked at who, like which males are making these positive and negative comments? He said, I'd love to, but I haven't had the time of moving and mm. all this and that. And I said, can we work together on that? And he said, absolutely. And it was such a fun study. And we had somebody transcribe all the videos and score because after every game, he actually took a photo of the leaderboard at the end and he could see the performance of everybody mm. and you could see their level and oh. how many kills and deaths they had. And it was amazing how well that correlated to their behavior online. In what way? So the men who were performing better in those games, who had more kills and fewer deaths and were of higher level, were much more positive to women. <laughs> yeah. All right. And the men who were underperforming, had fewer kills, more deaths, and were of lower levels, were much more negative towards women than they were towards men. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I know. People didn't like this result? Yeah, what a surprise. <laughs> so we framed it as trying to understand which individuals are more likely to be aggressive towards females and could be the individuals who are showing or demonstrating more sexism. Boy, I got so much hate. That's perfect timing because I imagine there would be lots of talk about what an alpha male is versus a beta male. And yeah, are, is this exactly. what we're seeing in these numbers? And Yeah, and, and it's really, I think it's really interesting because it demonstrates from an evolutionary perspective, you know, the guys who are doing well, they have nothing to fear from women who are also doing well mm. uh, because they're not being moved down that hierarchy or being replaced in that hierarchy. But the men who are not doing really, really well What's happening is women are usurping them in that hierarchy and outperforming them. And that means they're moving up in that hierarchy. And that means two things for those males who are moving down. The first is they're moving down, which means they look worse. Mm. And they're being outcompeted by a woman, which makes them look doubly bad in, the, in their <laughs> mind. And, in, and according to society as well, right? Mm. When we think about masculinity. Um, but the second thing is what's interesting and in, in culturally in humans is often when women marry women marry up in the hierarchy, which if a man is below a woman in that hierarchy, he doesn't have a chance to mm -hmm. mate with her. Now, of course, these men aren't mating in these Halo games and don't have a chance of even dating these women, mm. but that's kind of the thought process that may be going on and may be resulting in men you know, wanting to be more aggressive to these women to bring their self-perception of where they sit in that hierarchy down and ultimately get them to be out of that competitive environment. Because if you can remove that woman who's out competing you in that competitive environment, then she's no longer a threat. Mm. And people got really angry at me. I mean, straight away your mind goes to other competitive environments like yes. the workplace. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, right? And we have tons and tons of studies that demonstrate you know, a lot of male aggression towards women in things like medical school and surgeons. 
uh, in lawyers and in business. Mm. So to me, this has the potential to explain some of these behaviors. But I think there's also good news to that. Because historically, we were, men and women never competed for the same resources. If we're thinking hunter-gatherers, we mm. have very different roles. But in today's society, what we have is men and women working in the same workplace. Mm. And our ability to perform isn't in any way linked to how our physique or how big we are, how much we can bench press mm. or how far we can run. It's our ability to write words on paper or do accounting. <laughs> <laughs> and men and women really don't differ in those skills. Mm. So when you're when a man is outcompeted by a woman, we shouldn't be thinking, "Oh my God, a woman beat me." It's more of a that person beat me, and that's okay because they're better. Mm. And if I want to do better and outcompete them, I need to get better. So I think it's a shift, a cultural shift, is what we need to do and reframe, not as losing to a girl, but losing <laughs> to another individual, and that's okay. Yeah, even then, as soon as you say the word losing, it's got a negative connotation Absolutely. to it, but it's just an inevitability of it's the, the world. Uh, yeah. You know, there's two hockey teams play, one, <laughs> one of them's going to lose, you know, and if you don't want to lose, you have to be better. Yeah. It's the same thing in anything, right? And the fact that we're seeing these dynamics in a completely virtual world yes. where the stakes are zero... I think is really cool mm. because it allows us an opportunity to explore these kinds of questions in a way we normally wouldn't be able to. Mm. And that's why I enjoy using video games to explore human behavior. Are you yourself a gamer? I, you know, I used to be a huge gamer. Mm. And now I'm a father, <laughs> um, you know, an associate professor, an entrepreneur, like you said. Nah, I don't have the time. <laughs> I still love games. Yeah. Um, and I do play here and there, but not as much as I used to. Mm. Yeah. And I'm guessing this probably led to our Ludo. Yeah, exactly. Um, I And yeah, you know, researching games showed me what a great platform they are to understand human behavior and to, and to reframe a lot of concepts mm -hmm. in human culture. Um, and that's where I got the idea for using them for education as well. And, and games for education aren't anything new. Mm. Um, but it's always been thought of as... Well, if we give kids points or levels, they'll want to keep continuing to learn. Mm. So maybe they'll learn stuff better. That's just not <laughs> true. There's been heaps of studies that show it's not the case. So what's our Ludo doing differently? So I, I kind of frame video games in a different perspective. And I watch when I'm watching my kids and their and their and their friends play. When I watch them play things like Minecraft or Fortnite. Mm they're not playing them for points or levels. Mm. And what they're playing them for is to be social. They're playing with their friends to have a great time. They're discovering a world and all these different crazy things that are built into that world. And they're creating solutions to those problems that this world kind of throws against them. Yeah. So it's these intrinsic kind of aspects of the video game that draw these kids into these video games because it naturally allows them kind of to be scientists, really. Mm. Um, and, and what I love about kind of realizing that is video game, of science, being a scientist is a lot like being, playing a video game in the sense that as a scientist, I create experiments to help me understand the world and I do that with a whole bunch of other people. Mm. So I thought, let's reframe what these video games are doing in a classroom. 
and that's what our Ludo does. Mm. So rather than it being about points or levels, it's about this intrinsic desire to understand this video game system we've created. And the neat thing is this video game that we've created also collects data, scientific mm. data. And then we display those data in front of the class and say, after they play the game after 10 minutes, we say, students, you've collected these data. What do you think they mean? Mm. And because they've experienced this world, whether they're a predator, uh, whether they're trying to find a spider to mate with or a bird to mate with or evolving dots, they kind of, those data make sense to them. And they want to understand them because they collected them. And so there's this kind of intrinsic desire to understand that. And that's really powerful. Yeah, I feel like it's a really good point. Because I feel like that's how I used to play video games as a kid. And and I've done the same thing. I watched my nephew play Mario Kart and he he jumps on there. He doesn't race. He just drives. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. he tries to find shortcuts and he's looking at the scenery. Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing. And I don't, as, do you think that's a kid adult thing that was adults were looking for interactions that have a reward system built into them as opposed to an exploratory world? Oh, that, that's maybe, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I do think kids and adults look at things very differently because mm. the same what you're talking about. I watch my kids play and I'm like, why don't you do, why aren't you doing the thing you're supposed to be doing? <laughs> what is this that you're doing here? And it's like, oh my God. But they do, they, they, explore that world differently than we do mm. and i think there's some beauty to that yeah uh, because there's they're not constrained by the things that apparently we adults are yeah this goal at the end <laughs> you know and this is totally off topic but yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a revelation a while ago when i thought i was playing video games to like just zone out yes and not yes. think about anything else my little free time yep. then i stepped back and realized that i was playing very goal-oriented video games. Yes, And yes. if I just collect four more of these yes. things, I get a new hat. And then... <laughs> and that hat is really cool. <laughs> I need that hat. Yes. But then once I had that hat, I had to get the next hat. Exactly, yeah. I realized I wasn't doing that yes. open-world exploration that I thought that I was doing. Yeah, and it's crazy that there are these goals in games to get you to keep moving in, but some kids do get sucked in by those goals, mm. and some kids don't, yeah. which is really, really interesting. Yeah, but the apps that you're developing for these educational educational uh, experiences are very yeah. much about exploring yeah. things without necessarily a goal exactly. in mind. Exactly. Yeah. And we're by no means creating games like Minecraft or Fortnite. Those are huge, enormous games mm. that you know are asking kid a lot of time from kids. Our games are five, ten minutes in length. Mm. So they're short experiences, and their whole goal is to give a shared experience to a classroom. So they all have something to talk about together. Mm. And I think that's what's usually missing in science class because you run an experiment and it doesn't work. And then you have the teacher makes up a bunch of data and then you ha- kids have to understand what those data mean. Mm. But they're pointless because they're not real or relevant to them. Yeah. And we're trying to make these data relevant to them um, and give them an experience that's meaningful. So you mentioned things like spider mating systems yeah. and predator-prey interactions. What other topics are taught so we we have uh another game called um well there's so many let's see so it's a good one we have we're, we're creating one called cha-cha changers which is really fun where you're this little creature and you have to try and impress a female and you're investing in different traits and through that we're showing how female preferences and choices can 
um, lead to kind of runaway selection, okay. which is kind of fun. Mm. Um, then we've got another game, you know, called cat burglary, where uh, we are, you're a rectangular prism that delivers pizza to different houses. <laughs> and it teaches about the factors that can affect our memory and how, right. and how different lines of questioning can make you remember things in different ways. Mm. So all things like from psychology, biology, math, statistics, chemistry, even ethics. Mm. Uh, Are you coming up with the names? Are yeah. you to blame for Reservoir Crabs? I am. T- not, not me personally, our team. whole team <laughs> sits down and we spend hours thinking about these names, sometimes way too long. And we, we're, we love puns. <laughs> Needless to say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the, some of some of them are, some of them we love. Some of them, you know, after five hours of thinking, we're just like, okay, we're just gonna have to call it that. It'll do. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. So if a teacher wants to incorporate this into their classroom, yep. What do they do? So they can actually join us on YouTube Live, mm-hmm. and we run shows for free, and teachers jump in with their class, and they can play a game and see, you know, what it's all like. And, all right. and students interact with scientists. So that's a fun, that's a really easy way for a teacher just to try something out and see if it's if it would suit them. Uh, otherwise, you just go to our website, arludo.com, sign up, download a game for free, mm-hmm. give it a try in, in your class and see what you think. And let us know what you think because I love feedback, even if it's bad. How does it work on a device level? Students need their own devices within the classroom type yeah, of thing? Yeah, so they yeah. would need either uh, some, some type of device, either their mobile phone mm-hmm. or some kind of tablet. Apple or Android, and they just download the apps for free and, and start playing. If your teacher's worried about screen time, mm. how does how does giving a whole classroom of kids individual screens and how does it work with a classroom dynamic? Yeah, so this is this is always a big discussion point, especially because oh no, we need to be banning mobile devices from schools. Mm. It's like okay, let's ban them from adults as well because we're just <laughs> as bad have you ever been on a some kind of public transport <laughs> oh my god and there's no adults looking at each other because they're all looking at their phone yeah. just as bad i i'm i'm a strong believer of we need to be using those devices in constructive ways in the classrooms mm. to demonstrate to kids that they're not just for entertainment mm. that there's these super powerful devices that could be used in all kinds of different ways so when we use them in the classroom they're not replacing anything they're just like a microscope or a ruler. Uh, they're a piece of scientific equipment that's used to collect data. Mm. And then once the data are collected, they're not really used anymore. Mm. But then you know, kids have a, you know, a constructive view of that device. It's not this thing that entertained them. It's this thing that they use to understand the world, which is different. So you've taken this step mm. to be an entrepreneur, oh, God. start your own business. Yeah. As we've been over before, you're doing a lot of stuff. Yes. Sarachnologist, <laughs> evolutionary biologist, entrepreneur, president of the oh, Australasian God. Evolution Society. Yes. Not to mention raising two kids and yes. having a family and all that stuff. And yeah. teaching and supervising students. Yes. Why? What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> you, you know what? There's, there's every few days I ask myself that because I need to make sure I, I should be doing all these things because it's a lot of things. <laughs> You know, I don't do any of those things alone, mm. you know, and it, all of those things involve a team, yeah. you know, at home. It's my wife and I who work together to raise kids. It's not just me, you know, at uni, it's a whole bunch of collaborators and, and people who work with students 
and I get to work with some awesome students, which is great. And and that's the same thing with our Ludo. There's a lot of people, who, great people who are involved, who I get to work with. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of things, but you know, it doesn't matter what we do. We always fill our time with stuff. And these are all the stuff that I really enjoy doing. So it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, but you look at... <sighs> Look at the people around you. Yes. You, know, you you now have your permanent academic position. Yes. You could I'm lucky. Yeah. just sit in your office. I could. Be a curmudgeon. <laughs> whinge about having to do a lecture. And I'd be so good at that. Don't misunderstand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a really good curmudgeon. Yeah. Nobody's asking you to start your own yes. business. It's true. What makes you have an idea and have to do it? Yeah, you know, what makes anybody do anything, I guess, if we get this in this real philosophical kind of way of looking at it. Um, I I really feel that, you know, there's a really strong push for getting science out there. Everyone mm -hmm. should know science. STEM is really important. And yes, not everyone should be a scientist. And I do agree that people should understand science. But more so, I, I'm a strong believer that people should just have an opportunity to practice critical thinking and logical thinking and creativity, which is kind of lacking in schools, mm. mainly because our curriculum is crammed so full with a lot of things that kids need to learn that teachers are struggling mm. you know, to fit and fill all those needs. Um, but, you know, if I look at it in a completely selfish way, why am I doing our Ludo? All right, I would love for students when they come to university to know a little bit more. So when they do come to university, we can extend that level of knowledge that they have. And I could have even more fun talking to them about science. And I could get even better students in my lab doing really cool stuff. So in a really selfish way, you know, I am, our Ludo is, you know, serving this purpose of trying to get better students to everyone. That doesn't sound selfish. <laughs> <laughs> Say, I'm going to be really selfish here. I just want to enrich people's lives. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound like a selfish reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, 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 in some ways, it, it is. It's the truth of it. You know, I'd love to be able to get better students or better prepared. <laughs> and in other ways, I really, I know, teach, I know teachers are struggling a lot. And there's so many tool, digital tools out for them. And a lot of them are so bad. And it's really hard to engage students who are enthralled with digital devices mm. that, you know, run the rest of their lives. And they come to school and it's like... Okay, let's work on that worksheet now. Oh, God, I'm bored. And, <laughs> and I, I want to try and help them engage these kids in class. Again, these are all extrinsic <laughs> values and things. Like, are you really that selfless? <laughs> no, you know, I'm, you I, I don't want to paint that job. picture at all. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not trying to make myself look like that at all. I just, it's fun. It's just yeah. really fun. You know, working with programmers and designers and developers and artists and animators it's so much fun being creative mm. and taking this science that is supposed to be communicated to people in this kind of way that scientists communicate, which is lectures. Mm. And I, I just think we could do so much more. Mm. You know, like look what you're doing with in situ, right? You're talking to people in fun ways and getting science out there in a way that people don't normally get. And I, I'm guessing you do this because you enjoy it. Yeah, it's totally selfish. <laughs> <laughs> See, it is. And this is the same reason why I'm doing this. I love working with creative people. Mm. And in science, we don't, we're not considered creative people. Mm. You know, we're creative in the sense that we're making these weird experiments to understand the world, but we would never think of ourselves as artists mm. or uh, 
But working with artists is so much fun. Mm. It gives you a, a totally different perspective. And getting back to that thing I said earlier, I love working with people because it puts you know, what you do in a different perspective. It makes you see the value of what you do and the value of what other people do. Mm. And it's just a hell of a lot of fun. Is it just when you have an idea that you like, you can't not do it? I often have the tr- I have to stop myself from picking up new things. <laughs> I do. And there are people who have now started telling me, you stop it. You're doing too much. You can't add another thing. Like I had another idea I want to start recently and I've had to shelve it. Yeah. Even though I really, really want to do it really badly. But I just don't have the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just fun doing things. Um, and I'm in, in a really lucky place in my life, like you mentioned. Like I have a, a continuing position. Mm. So I oh, I have this and I'm always doing this and this is supporting me and my family. And it provides me with that opportunity to do those creative kinds of things. Mm. And I think professors of old, you know, they would sit in their office and they'd have a heck of a lot of time to think and do stuff and they would really drill down deeply into this thing that they're researching and and so there's still some people who do that mm. i'm i'm the opposite yeah. i like going sideways and and working with people outside of my field to kind of better understand what it is that i do um so i do things on a superficial level in a lot of different ways so i broaden my perspective and that's the same thing i'm doing with our ludo in a way by getting into education and into programming and to design mm. um and getting a, a whole bunch of skill sets and ho- meeting a whole bunch of cool people along the way. In my head, I think of yeah professors of old being quite specialized in what they do. Yeah. But if I think of professors of Yvonne Alderer, yeah, yeah, then you get into the world of artist, scientist, philosopher. True. Types, yeah, yeah. That's a very which good point. More like this. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. That's and those folks just kind of sat around and talked. Mm. And philosophized about different ideas and theories, and that would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. But it was about pretty much engaging with the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In any way possible, not just using the scientific method. Yes. In this prescribed way. Yes, absolutely. You could do it with science, with art, with orating, yeah. with performance, whatever. Yes. So maybe maybe that's what I'm being like the <laughs> science of the, of long yore. <laughs> just Aristotle. Of, of, <laughs> not of today. that good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do I do wear the same kinds of shoes as he does though. I do like going barefoot, so we got that similarity. <laughs> and I'm guessing the beard's not to protect her from knockouts. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> you know, no, it doesn't seem to work, so no. yes. <laughs> it's another paper people can look at. Yes. <laughs> but we talked about having to make that jump in language between different fields of science. Yes. Making the jump from science into Business and startup. Yeah. And that, it's not just a difference in language. It's almost like a difference in value systems. Yeah, it's, there, there are a lot of differences, but there are a lot of similarities. Mm. So when I first, first started uh, working on, on, a, on the startup, our Ludo, and, and this whole business idea, someone said, you've got to read this startup book. Mm. And I read this book. And it's a short read. I'm reading through, and they start getting to how to end, you know, how to really figure out what people like about your product mm. I'm like oh this is great this is going to be amazing i'm reading through flipping through and essentially what they start describing is so what you do is you take your product one way and you show it to a bunch of people 
And then you make a change in your product <laughs> and you show it to a bunch of other people. Yeah. And then you see what both of those people think. And I read that and I'm like, what? They're talking about a tea test. <laughs> oh my God. They're trying to do science here. Yeah. And they're doing it really badly. They call it market research. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so again, there's just so many more similarities than you would have thought. So this is why, actually, I just rejigged a whole course, um, a whole second year course this past year. And the goal was to create a startup component in it mm -hmm. where students would work in groups to build a startup around some ecological or evolutionary topic. Mm. And, you know, some students felt it was too businessy. Some students really loved it. But what the goal of it was to demonstrate to students that their skills in science are so transferable to so many different fields because the way that we think about things as scientists are really valuable in mm. other fields. And that's why there's a lot of companies now hiring scientists um, because of their ability to think about experiments and think about designs and understand data. And that's really, really important. Mm. So it's not as odd as you may think um, to think about the science and business kind of thing. And what, one of the, actually the most rewarding things out of that change I did in my course is two students actually entered, you know, a startup competition this year <laughs> separately with their own startups in the, right. in the Peter Farrell Cup. And I saw that and I was just so happy that, yeah. that you know, they took that jump. One of them is, you know, looking at how to um, do a rapid STI check Mm. Uh, for for young people um, and make a business around that. Uh, and the other one, I think, was about trying to get um, leftover foods that aren't purchased into people's hands so there's, or reducing food waste, especially mm. from farmers. So these are all huge problems that these these students now want to try and solve, yeah. so, which is really cool. I feel like scientists do make very good entrepreneurs because... You do. It's essentially the same thing. You start a research project. Absolutely. You have a hypothesis you know you need to test, and then it's free reign as to how you go about that. Absolutely. Same with a business idea. You just yep. It's a soul-driven, passion-driven thing yeah. that you just got to make happen. Yeah, exactly. And that's why we're actually pretty good at business. <laughs> we wouldn't have ever thought that. But if you mm. asked me if I would ever start a business five years ago, I would have said no. <laughs> that's crazy. Why would I do that? That's nuts. And look at me now. What's it like having people talk about you as an entrepreneur and I? Like when you go online and Google yeah. Michael Kazimovic and I, lots of pictures of you smiling, leaning up against <laughs> cupboards, sort of pop up and... <laughs> yes, oh God, the internet. Looking smart, casual. Oh. Yes, the internet is a funny thing. You know, <laughs> everything you do really is recorded in every way and it's so terrifying. That's why I feel bad for young people nowadays. Um, yeah, you know... That, that word entrepreneur is a funny thing, mm. you know, founder. That's another one that's thrown around a lot, you know. Uh, and they, in business, they have all these words and they mean all these important things. And I couldn't care less about any of those <laughs> things, really. The reality is it comes back down to, you know, I have this vision of what I think education could be mm. or what I think it could be. Um, and, you know, I want to I test that out. I want to see if I can help people make education better mm. and help enjoy learning. Um, and that's what it's all about. You can call me whatever you want. Mm. It doesn't really matter. 
But a lot of the time, the focus is on you, right? You, as the founder. It's as a the funny CEO. thing. That's true, you know, because, you know, Tesla has their founder, Apple has their, you know, it's always that person. But it's always so many people involved. Mm. It's never that person. <laughs> you know, that person may have had that idea, but that idea has since changed. Mm from what it initially was and it's changed because of the people you've interacted with and the people that you work with mm. and the people that came to your company and added value to it so yeah i i often am the face of arludo and that's that's because i go out and talk about it mm. but arludo is so much more than just me there's so many people involved and you know they all make arludo special in in in, in different ways that wouldn't be if they weren't there mm. So, um, and that's, I think often in the business world, that's not thought of that way. Um, because there's, yeah, there's that one person, that CEO, they're driving everything. It's like, <laughs> no, they're not. You're the genius. Yeah, hardly. No so, way. <laughs> I'm surprised you're not wearing a turtleneck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> way too hot for that. <laughs> way too hot in this country. Are you kidding me? No way. Well, if people want to find out more about Arludo, just go online. Yep arludo.com yep and then tell me about the website because I have this feeling it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing so <laughs> take a look and tell me what what you think it right. means you dead links yeah the yeah. app's not opening yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah and you know tell me you're not really explaining it well I don't really understand what arludo's doing okay. you know <laughs> <laughs> I need to keep making things better. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, Mike. dude, thanks so much for having me. We'll James. have to That's do it again. Blast. Yeah, it's yeah. Sounds like a plan. Maybe I'll have another career then as well. <laughs> <laughs> we do another live podcast. All stars. Yes. <laughs> oh, that would be a blast. I had so much fun in the last one. I was almost sad you didn't invite me again, but realized other people need a chance as well. <laughs> I get to do all of them. Though. I know, That's which is so fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Alright, thanks so much. Thanks, James. Thank you guys for listening. Check our site online at InSituScience.com. We're on social media at InSituScience. Check out our Patreon page too if you want to support us at patreon.com slash InSituScience. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.